Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Rob Has a Podcast. I am Rob Cisternino, and I have today on the line a man who uh, comes at Survivor from a uh, very different perspective than maybe uh, the rest of us might come at it from. That is because uh, he looks at Survivor uh, through the world of uh, probability and odds because uh, he is a, a writer for ESPN for a poker, uh, believe it or not. And uh, he is on the line, and his name is Gary Wise. Hey, Rob. Gary, how you doing? Good. You know, I, let me just say, you know, I, I, I look at Survivor, you know, as statistical in, in, in through probability, but I also look at it as being a very human game, and uh, and I do my best to try to to figure that into, into any equations also. But you know, before we start, let me say this is a real treat for me because I've been listening to you for a long time. Uh, I, you know, anybody who saw Amazon is a fan of yours. Uh, so yeah, this not is everyone. Yeah, well, thank you, Gary. <laughs> I appreciate that. And and Gary, uh, not only does he write about uh, poker for ESPN, he also has interviewed several uh, survivors uh, talking about poker. He had a, a column that a feature that ran on ESPN uh, during last season where he spoke with uh, Survivor Albert and Jim Rice. Uh, and not only that, not only that, he has uh, he has done something that I have never done, and that is uh, interview uh, both Jean Robert and Boston Rob. Believe it or not. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I, I kind of cheated on those two. Uh, you know, Jean Robert is a very regular participant in live tournament play, so I've interviewed him a, like a bunch of times about poker. Uh, and you know, obviously, he's an interesting character and. He's very he's very conscious of the spotlight, so he's always excited to have the opportunity to talk to any media member whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. Rob is good friends with Daniel Legranu, who is a guy who I who I talk to a lot. Um, and uh, that's not intended as a brag. Just Daniel's a, a again media savvy, but also knows that his voice has a, has power, and he uses that. And uh, you know, I'm one of the, the guys who benefits from that. And uh, so I was able to get to Rob through him and. You know, I got to say, you know, you're missing out on Rob because Rob was great. Uh, you know, I, I asked him for 10 minutes and he gave me half an hour and we, we talked, uh, you know, not not just Survivor. We also talked poker and and, uh, and and upcoming projects. And, and you know, uh, as a fan of the show, obviously I respect his game. So that was really cool for me to be able to do. Uh, Gary, really rubbing salt in the wound about not getting a Boston Rob interview. Hey, I, at least I didn't mention All-Stars. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, well, the um, Daniel that you're talking about, uh, w- now wasn't he Boston Rob's uh, poker coach on the Boston Rob and Amber against the odds uh, short-lived uh, Fox reality uh, TV series? Yeah, it wasn't really a shining moment for either of the two of them. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. But, Rob was- or Amber or Daniel? Uh, okay, the three of them. How's that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think Amber came off okay, but um, no, I you know it wasn't Daniel's greatest moment. You know they didn't really focus on his personality; they just focused on his poker. When really it's his personality that makes him kind of shine as an ambassador for that sport or game, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but the other connection there is that Daniel was actually invited to be on Survivor China. Well, um, he uh, you know obviously for the biggest poker players in the world, and he is certainly one of them. You know, going to the World Series of Poker is a very important part of, you know, not only practicing your, your profession, but also maintaining your brand. And there was a conflict between the World Series of Poker and the taping of Survivor. And so he had to pass. And that's why Jean Robert got the invite. So they were just like, OK, a poker's hot right now. We need a poker guy. And right. so they were just like going through the Rolodex as they do. If something gets hot on any of these reality shows, like we need somebody from that fan base. Yeah. Uh, and- and he would have been a great, a great player. He's, you know, because he's Daniel's very well known when he's playing poker for sort of externalizing his internal monologue, um, which I think we all know is is an excellent thing to do when it comes to playing to the cameras and getting confessional time. I, you know, I think one of the two of us appeared on Survivor did that an awful lot. Uh, <laughs> you know, and and but you know, let, let's let's call it what it is. You were memorable in large part because of those confessionals, and Daniel would have been the same. The one problem he probably would have faced as a player is that if somebody recognized him, and you have to think that, you know, with the amount of poker that was on television, you know, through, a, you know, from like 2004, 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, the poker boom. Well, well, yeah. You know, the poker, poker's kind of post-boom now because of uh, legal developments in, in 2011. But um, you have to think that somebody would have recognized him, recognized him as a professional game player, 
gotten scared to death of the guy and, you know, lobbied some of the fellow players to, to get him out. So, yeah, I'm trying to think, though, on that particular season. I don't know if any and nobody's jumping out to me as somebody who might have picked up on that. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's really tough to know who's watching poker. But, you know, if you remember back, you know, poker was was pretty much on TV 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, and if nothing else, you know, there are people like Todd Herzog who are just sharp judges of character. I think Todd got yeah. a really good beat on John Robert really quickly. And he would have recognized that Daniel was a thinking man and an incredibly smart man and probably would have seen him as a threat. So, mm-hmm. you know, you never know what circumstance and who's on which tribe and all that. But I, th- I think, I think you know, as we saw with Matt, you can be the quote-unquote complete package and still have a lot of problems. It actually kind of draws a target on your back. So um, right. you know, I, I think Daniel would have had problems in that regard. Now, how big of a deal is uh, Jean Robert in the poker scene? Um, you could be straight with us. Yeah, We're, no, I, no, I, I'm going to be straight with you. I just want to make sure I answer this in a fair way. Because nope. I don't know. I'm, a, I'm an outsider. I'm not in the, you know, I, I'm way, way outside the poker periphery. He's, he's certainly known. Like he's definitely a well-known guy, and I think Survivor sort of helped with that. But he had already gone a couple of national television appearances. Um, you know, uh, he's a guy who I think a lot of people don't take him entirely seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, he's certainly a caricature to an extent, but at the same time, he's also very entertaining. Um, yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if you've seen his Twitter account. He, in my opinion, he has the best Twitter account in all of poker. Whoa. Uh, and his Twitter handle is broke living JRB. Uh, <laughs> and his entire brand is I'm broke all the time, but I live like a millionaire. <laughs> yes. So, so like, he'll make a tweet, like, you know, flying on a private jet at 50,000 feet, have $42 in my bank account. You know, like. You know, so, you know, you're going to take him about as seriously as those tweets suggest you should take him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's he's good for a quote. And, and uh, you know, and he has some people, that, like, when he made a deep run in the World Series, you know, a couple of years ago, I uh, I did a feature on him. And I asked some of the players at his table who didn't know him previously, what do you think of him? And one guy said, oh, he's a lot of fun. He's talking all the time, keeping things fun and interesting and, you know, keeping me awake. And then another guy just gave me expletive deletes. <laughs> and, and just you know, the hate was seeping out of his ears. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that wasn't Courtney Yates, was it? Uh, I, I don't remember the name. It was a skinny, skinny blonde, <laughs> sassy from New York, dating Fishback, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, are the poker players ranked? Are, are they like tennis players? No, not not precisely. The thing about poker, you know, it's the old saying. Uh, you, you know, you keep the cards close to the, close to the vest and, you know, I, obviously as poker's become, uh, digitized online, we have a better idea of who does well in those games, but you know, do you ever get a truly clear picture of who's winning and losing in live play? Um, live tournaments, you know, there's a record, you know, if you were to go to a website, uh, called hendemob.com, you'd find a database there of all live tournaments and you can see if some, how much somebody's won. But the old saying poker is you never see how much they've lost. <laughs> and so, you know, a guy who's won a million dollars could well have spent two million dollars trying to get there. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if you're if the, the next natural question in that progression is, is J.R. a winning player? Well, I think his tweets kind of sum it up. <laughs> that he's broke? Yeah. You yeah. know, like if, 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 you know, let's face it. He wouldn't be broke living J.R.B. if he had a couple million dollars in the bank. Mm hmm. So, you know, he's he's not perfect, but at the same time, he's, st- he's certainly a streaky player. You know, there are moments where he has definitely turned it on and put in some really good performances at crucial times. Yeah. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of guy that if, if you're a backer, if you're a guy with some money who wants to invest in a poker player, which, which happens pretty regularly, that's the kind of guy that you might say, you know what, I'm going to take a shot on because, you know, this might be the tournament where he finally binks it. Okay. Now, what about Boston Rob? Is Boston Rob on the poker scene at all? You know, I've never seen Rob with a live tournament. I don't travel the circuit these days. I, I did a few years ago. Um, Rob is Rob describes himself as a successful recreational player, and I think it's probably you know if from from talking to to people around the game who know him uh, and having spoken to him, I, I would guess that's probably a fairly accurate statement. You know, he's not a guy who should you know as we saw with the TV show, he's not a guy who should be laying down roots in Vegas and, and relying on, on a five ten game to, to keep his coffers full. Right. But, you know, he's, he's obviously a thinker. He, you know, he's got a degree in psychology. 
you know, and he used it. He also used it in Survivor, and I would have to think he would use it at the poker table. So he's not the first guy I've seen on the show who I would say, I want to play poker against that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what about Jim Rice? Now, uh, is Jim Rice a uh, also a recreational poker player? No, I think Jim is a little bit more than that. I think, like Jim doesn't rely on poker for his income, uh, but but at the same time, you know, as he said about nineteen thousand times on the on the show, he's a WPT champion. Now, when we think of WPT champions, we think of the winners of those ten thousand dollar tournaments we see on television. And what Jim won was was actually a preliminary tournament with a thousand dollar buy in. Mm-hmm. But you still have to be pretty good to win one of those. You know, I think he won like one hundred twenty grand in that tournament. Um, so if he's a recreational player, he's a very good one. Uh, at the same time, I took one look at Jim in the previews that season and said, there's no way this guy can win. He's suffering from Marty syndrome. He's going <laughs> to, he's going to overplay the game. He's going to go in too aggressive and there's no way he's going to avoid putting a target on his back. Hey, let and- me stop you for a second. Cause that, that's a very interesting thought. I've never heard that before. Uh, Marty syndrome. Uh, yeah. which, which is good because, you know, I was drawn to Marty preseason on Nicaragua and I was drawn f- to, uh, Jim as well. I-, I ended up selecting, uh, Cochran, uh, just, it was kind of a coin flip, but Cochran, uh, talked about me a little bit. So, uh, yeah. I, th- I took a bath on Cochran, by the way, John, if you're listening, you cost me a lot of public humility, uh, <laughs> or humiliation, sorry, it's, uh, because I backed you hard, man. Yeah, the humility comes now after you back Cochran. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know. Can we come up with a? Is there? Was Marty the first person? If if you're calling this the Marty syndrome, it was. Uh, and we're not talking about when somebody calls you chicken and then you do stuff that you wouldn't normally do. Uh, th- is there any person that you could backtrack this? Could we uh, carbon date this further back before Marty? Oh man, like I. I... Obviously, I need to go through some lists. Like, I, as much as I've seen all the seasons multiple times, and I know all the players, like it, they're not filed in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, Barton just is a really extreme example of a guy who came in and wanted so desperately to control the game that he forgot that he was playing it. You know, when he went after Jimmy Johnson, <laughs> who, frankly, there's absolutely no reason to go after the guy except I want to be the alpha male. Yeah. So he basically made a statement to the viewer and, 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 and to the players, and that was. I care so much about controlling this game that can't be controlled. Hello, Matt. Um, that I'm going to lose sight of the flexibility that you need to win a survivor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he tried to make up for it later with a little flexibility, but every move was a big move. And you know what? Big moves don't win games. Sandra Diaz twine wins games. Okay. And is this true at the poker table as well? Absolutely. If you go push on the first hand to try to intimidate your table, you're going to lose 50% of the time. Yeah. You know, like, just like poker, Survivor's a game of subtlety. Or maybe I should take it the other way. Just like Survivor, poker's a game of subtlety. It's played on many levels. You know, you're sitting there chatting with a guy who, in your head, you know you want to you want to topple. And every piece of conversation is information. And so you give what you want and you take what you can. And slowly you build up a library of information from which you can exploit uh, and, and eventually conquer. And... There wasn't a lot of subtlety to Marty. You know, he, he didn't care about building a library. He just wanted to, you know, forearm smash people in the head. <laughs> um, which, you know, I think I think you can probably verify is against the rules of Survivor. So, that is against the rules. There uh, you go. Now, I mean, we're trying to come up with uh, other people like this. Uh, how about John Robert, since we're talking about him so much? Would, would you put him in that category? Well, here's the thing. Marty and Jim are guys who you can take seriously enough that there's some validity to their attempts to claim that alpha male status. Actually, Jim wasn't really trying to be alpha male. It was, it was subtly different than Marty. But he was. You know, they, they were both trying to control the game. I don't know that John Robert was really trying to control the game. He talks a lot about how he had a particular strategy in Survivor, but his strategy was one that assured him of Russell Hant's status. You know, like you, can't, <laughs> you, you could get to the end, but you can't possibly win. Right. Um, and... You know, and, and at the same time, some of the things he did were distasteful enough that no one was ever going to give him, you know, credit for being an alpha male. You know, uh, you know, when you, you know, hey, you know, with all love, John Robert, when you when you grope or leer at a woman in a suggestive way and she is not interested in your advances, you are not putting yourself in her good books. <laughs> that was in, in all seriousness, Rob, like it's just 
you know, I'm, I'm I've sure heard this also. Cool, you did this a few times yourself. You know, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, how I, dare you, Gary? It's hard towards Heidi Strobel on your season, actually. Uh, no, yes. Uh, uh, although there's no there's no evidence to the contrary that those uh, those advances were not welcome. There's well, no you know, there's no evidence. This. Heidi's, Heidi's husband next year is going to sign like a $150 million contract in baseball. Is she returning your calls? <laughs> well, in fairness, I have not called since uh, 2005. So, okay. uh, so still, there's still no evidence to support this. She, she did pretty well with the Survivor thing. Huh? I think she's, she's actually the, the biggest winner in the history of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, maybe uh, maybe Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Uh, I think it's it's pretty close. It's neck and neck. Yeah, yeah, they, but... I give Elizabeth a lot of credit for what she what she parlayed, but at the same time, she had a unique spotlight. She and you know she and Colby were able to take advantage of that no one ever had before or since. Gary, you, you know what I think? Uh, you know, people get on my case and say, "Oh, Rob, what this? I'm watching this Amazon. You're talking about this Heidi. I don't see it. I don't know. You're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about." Okay, go. Which I, I scoreboard? Okay. Guy. I was yeah. not a Heidi guy. And her final tribal question, in which she basically said, please praise me, uh, <laughs> turned me off even more. All right. Well, some, but somehow she's sitting on uh, $100 million at this point. Well, yeah. You know, if Cole Hamels is listening, then she, he can give me a call and we'll talk it out. <laughs> okay. Fair. Fair enough. Uh, now, what about uh, Albert? What's his uh, background in poker? Albert is, uh, the way he describes it, he's a baseball coach by profession, but the majority of his income comes from poker. Really? Uh, Albert lives in Florida. Um, Florida is home to uh, a surging live poker uh, culture. Um, Until recently, the Florida casinos were limited to like $100 maximum buy-in. With I don't know if you guys know, know your poker or not, but with ridiculously high blinds. So really, it wasn't a skill game. It was it was more like a casino game. Um, recently, they changed that, and as a result, not only were all those locals now suddenly down there playing with far more flexibility than than originally, but a lot of pros swarmed down there also because, frankly, that original group who was still playing the hundred dollar variant of the game hadn't really figured out the subtleties. I think Albert is a guy who has capitalized on that. Um, you know, obviously, I haven't seen his, his ledger. Um, but it sounds like he's pretty successful at exploiting the bad players. Uh, he did tell me that, you know, for third place in, on Survivor, you get, you get 75 grand. And he did tell me that that represented a pretty major chunk of change to him. You know, that, that, uh, he would actually be probably increased limits as a result of that, mm-hmm. uh, which suggests that he's not playing high stakes. You know, he's just, you know, he's just what, what we refer to as a uh, grinding out a living. So is that all across Florida? Because you know who else I think is living in Florida these days? Who's that? I think that's that's where Boston Rob uh, has his shop set up. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was sitting down at a game once in a while. You know, he, <laughs> he might he might change the cap to like a, a Blue Jays cap or something. Like that. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, no, so we got sort of an interesting uh, poker background on a few of these players. Is there anybody else in in the course of Survivor that is a uh, a known poker aficionado? Those were the biggies. Um, I, I was actually told that Stephen is is a uh, again a serious recreational player, uh, which wouldn't surprise oh, me yeah. at all. Obviously, he's a gamer. Yeah. Um, and you know, poker is is you know the one sure way to really get your adrenaline flowing if you're a gamer is to play for money and and play a skill game for money where you can outplay people and feel superior to them by doing so. Um, and poker, you know, because of the fact that poker is monetized, you know, it, it, and so popular, it's a game that always offers you those opportunities to do that. And so I have to think for a guy like Steven, as level-headed as he seems to be to me, um, he would probably be a guy who would thrive in that kind of an environment. Um, you know, and I've heard of others like going to celebrity terms. I actually met Jeff Probst at a, at a celebrity event about five years ago. How is Jeff Probst uh, at the poker table? He, you know, I didn't watch him play too much. It was very obvious from talking to him that he was very amateur. Um, but when he walked in the room, I'll tell you, his eyes lit up. He saw all those tables with the lights on top and, and, and you know, the chairs surrounding them and the dealers in place. And he was excited. And, you know, in, in a way that, you know, a lot of celebrities are like, oh, this should be fun. But he was excited. Like, he was chomping at the bit. Um, and it was, it was fun to see a guy who has experienced so much 
experience something new and have a youthful enthusiasm about it. So if Boston Rob, uh, Jean Robert, Albert, and Jim Rice are sitting at a table, I, I throw Fish back in there. He's he's there too. All okay. right, what what happens? Uh, is it, I guess Jean Robert plays a tricky game uh, and is certainly the most aggressive guy at the table. Uh, and then one of two scenarios plays out: either he gets lucky early, gets a huge chip stack, and just dominates everybody. Or probably Jim or Albert catches him at a bad moment, takes most of his chips, and then whoever happened to have taken them uh, probably rides it the rest of the way. Because mm-hmm. Boston Rob, I think, is an aggressive poker player also, just from what I saw on the TV show. Uh, I, would, I would guess he's aggressive. I would also guess he's calculating, though. You know, Obviously, Rob's a very calculating guy. He's grown a lot as a person over, over the course of his survivor career. Um, and, you know, I think... Um, yeah, you know, I think that the original Boston Rob was young, dumb, full of you know, <laughs> um, gum, but, but but, but yeah, full of guns. <laughs> Probably uh, the Boston Rob we've seen the last couple of seasons has learned from his youthful mistakes. You know, is is a more calculated person. I I would guess he's probably a better poker player as a result. <laughs> At the same time, guys like Jim and, and Albert are just putting in their reps a lot more than Rob is. You know, Rob is a he's a busy guy. He's doing TV. He's got a production company now. Um, you know, while the Alberts and Jims of the world, you know, once they get done with their Rob has a podcast and Gary Wise, you know, ESPN.com interviews, they just go back to what they do. And that is, you know, a good portion of the time playing hands and, and really getting into that rhythm and finding that zone is so crucial in poker. So, you know, those, those are the guys who I'd probably favor to take John Rivera down. All right, well, how about this? Uh, so Jean Robert, uh, Boston Rob, Albert and Jim Rice, all have a pound of marijuana. Who get, Who's able to get rid of it the quickest? Um, I think Boston Rob would convince the other three to carry it for him. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, let, let's look at. <laughs> you guys are all marijuana buddies. <laughs> who? who? You, you watch one another. Make sure you keep the marijuana. Oh, you're doing. You're talking to Boston. Yeah. Hey, everybody. You're gonna, we're gonna have a buddy. You're gonna keep. You get half the weed. Your buddy gets half the weed. The cops come. Nobody says anything. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, Rob Sesternino just did a Rob Mariano impersonation in a conversation with me. My life is that much closer to complete. Oh, <laughs> that's fantastic. I feel like Cochran right now, <laughs> just gushing in the middle of the moment. Would you like me to just refer to you by your last name? Uh, no. no All right, wise. Let's. <laughs> Let's segue into uh, this current survivor that's on right now, and uh, maybe you can share, uh, you know, your perspective with what's going on. You you touched a little bit on Matt Quinlan uh, from this week. Can we put him in the category of the Marty syndrome, as you coined it? Certainly, Marty syndrome. Um, I have to admit, I fell for Matt's shtick um, when I saw, you know, I I watched the preview uh, episode, the TV Guide episode, uh, and I watched the preseason interviews. And I thought Matt had potential to be a um, to, to be like Brian, you know, not not killing a dog and doing porn. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, not you yet. Say it, right? Not yet. Um, not yet. <laughs> but he seemed to me to be a very together guy and a very calculating guy. And I thought that he would be able to put his Martyism, you know, beneath the skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could not have been more wrong. You know, I, I just, you know, obviously it's a limited sampling that, that you're dealing with. And I just mid-read, misread him from that sampling. I actually lost a dinner to a buddy of mine, Empire Man. And I'm just going to call him Empire Man. I'm not going to give his real name. Okay. But I owe a dinner because I lost a last longer bet. You know, this is how we keep it interesting for ourselves. I, I had Matt. He had Jay. I thought Matt would lead and he would create a lot of a lot of relationships. And instead, he, you know, I, I, I think I said this to you yesterday. Matt struck me in the episodes as a guy who was very accustomed to bending the world to his will. You know, he's, he's obviously an attractive guy. You know, he's a successful lawyer. You know, he, he's got a lot going on and he's not accustomed to having to fit into other people's molds, uh, or to mold himself to what other people's expectations are. Mm-hmm. And with, you know, with that said, you know, the moment things turned against him, well, like, like, frankly, they shouldn't have turned against him in the first place. He shouldn't have made it so obvious. He had a four personal alliance. He shouldn't have, you know, stuck his neck out in dealing with the girls right off the bat with the chicken incident. You know, he should have, you know, 
just waited. You know, you got to let the game come to you a little bit, just like poker. Um, and, uh, and he didn't. And, you know, I, I, we've seen guys like that in the past. And, you know, if you don't let the game come to you a little bit, you know, if you don't, you know, chop up your wood and build your fire and hunt for food and worry about the game a little bit later. You know, I, I think a, a recent example, Christina on Rob season, mm-hmm. and she was so gung ho about finding the idol and playing the game that she put a big target on her back. So was she uh, the female Marty? Um, not quite because she didn't have the presence that Marty did. Okay. You know, Marty had a presence that made him the center of attention. Christina sort of brought the attention on herself, but not in that way. But, you know, yeah, like a comparison can be made, I guess. <laughs> sure. Uh, so um, you brought up Jay. I, I feel like Jay could be in this thing for a while. Yeah, you know, I, my original inclination towards Jay was Mimbo. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I, I kind of like the way he's handled himself. You know, he, he knows that the girls are going to like him eventually, so he's not catering to them now, right. which I actually really respect. Um, and... Uh, you know, I, I, I really question the wisdom of hiding the fact that you're a model. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know about you, Rob, but if, if I was on the island and someone said I'm a model, I wouldn't be like, oh, shoot, I got to get you off this island. Yeah, wh- what is his reasoning for that? Uh, he didn't actually really say. I guess he didn't want to intimidate people or something. <laughs> maybe maybe he subscribes to the Zoolander models control the world. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, there is a lot of uh, prejudice against models out there. Um, I suppose there is, but you know what? Let, let's face it. Like on a cast of 18 people, like 14 on Survivor are going to be models or model-esque anyway. It's <laughs> like, it's, it's really, right. you know, it's, it, it's not what originally, you know, originally Survivor was supposed to be, you know, uh, a pocket of society and it's not really re- representative of society anymore. You know, gone are the Survivor challenges and, and the Sioux Hawks and they're replaced by obstacle courses and beautiful people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, you still get your share of these of Sioux Hawks. Um, like it's it's not so they, much like they have you... a token Sioux Hawk in every in every season, but they always get voted off early. And 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 if they're not, they don't get a lot of focus. You know, like like I I kind of longed for those days a little bit. You know, because I I thought that it was a more human show and that human element was good. But at the same time, you know, I I work with people in the world of television. I understand the importance of, of having likable or mesmerizing characters and that physical attractiveness kind of goes along with that. So, you yeah. know, yes, they're still going to pull from every demographic. They'll always have, you know, one black man, one black woman and one Asian and one homosexual <laughs> and, you know, one of each gender above the age of 50, you know, and Hey, good for them for keeping everybody included. <laughs> always going to be four twenty something bikini wearing girls. Yeah. Well, it's interesting uh, that you talk about this in looking at the first survivor, because I mean, I think that what you, okay, you still have your Sioux Hawks, you still have your eccentric characters, but I mean, take a look at the women that were on the first Survivor season and try and, you know, count the number of women coming into the game with, uh, you know, breast implants or like bikini models. I mean, the women that were on that first show was Colleen, who was, uh, you know, adorably cute. Survivor of all time, by the way. Was the what survivor of all time? Still the cutest survivor of all time. Still the cutest survivor of all time, but that's, not that's like whole crush on Colleen. Uh, so did everybody, yeah. um, but it, but she was like the girl next door. She wasn't like this unattainable. Like oh my god, she's a ten, Colleen. You know, it was like she seemed like she was you know down to earth enough that you know she was approachable. You know, and Jenna Lewis, and then Kelly Wigglesworth. I mean, Kelly Wigglesworth would not be cast on Survivor in modern times in a thousand seasons. Yeah. She's just not, uh, she's just, you know, they took, they took the people they could find. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, that's the, the price of success is that, uh, as you become more successful, you have the opportunity to become more exclusive. Yeah. And so when given a choice of Kelly Wigglesworth or supermodel, and understanding that, hey, super, you know, our male demographic loves to look at supermodels. They're going to choose the supermodels. Yeah. So, so you know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> sure. Uh, what about uh, the men versus women dynamic of, the, of this season? Uh, how do you think that this changes the thinking for the players uh, going into this? Um, well, I think we've seen a lot of – you see, it's, it's interesting because there are – always going to be men who are just more comfortable with women and there are going to be women who are more comfortable with men. And, you know, you're putting 
people into a kind of unnatural environment by dividing up the tribes that way. You know, like I, I think we've seen, you know, like Alicia is, is a woman who obviously is accustomed to using the flirt to get her way. Um, and, and Jay is probably the same way on the men's side. You know, he's, you know, these are beautiful people and, and, uh, you know, they, they understand that sexuality is, is a tool and Hey, you know, power to them. Uh, obviously it becomes less of a tool when put in the unnatural circumstance of, of isolating gender. Um, yeah, you know, I think that's the major effect, you know, obviously, you know, men don't understand women and women don't understand men and lack of exposure only heightens that, that lack of understanding. Um, you know, you're, you're married. Do you understand women? No. Yeah. Neither do I. I'm married too. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're all nuts and, and they say the oh. same, they say the same about us. How dare you, Gary? Oh, well, you know, hey, <laughs> but, you know, I love my wife. She'll tell you I'm an idiot. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm smarter than, than a lot of guys, which God knows what that makes them. Um, but you know, that's the thing really, you know, like it's the whole Mars Venus, you know, dichotomy. You know, it's it's only going to be heightened by dividing this way. And, you know, as a result, you've got two parties on the show negotiating with one another. And, oh, we're going to get into the previous episode, you know, this this past episode and the women's behavior on it. And, oh, my God, um, like we'll get there in a second. But, you know, obviously what we've got here is two parties negotiating who don't speak one another's language. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously it's going to make for much tougher negotiation. You know, in the world of business. You know, how do you how do you strike a deal with someone? You find your common ground, you have a drink, you pat one another on the back, you share a few laughs, you create a bond with it trust, and that's how you strike your your deal. You know, these parties have no don't have that common ground. Uh and and I think, you know, we saw Christina try to find it, you know, and she got destroyed for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. You know, to me, I I was I was beside myself with that because it was like this woman is getting you the single most important element on the island. Without fire, you will die. <laughs> right. And what she's negotiating in exchange is that you will sit around for an hour amongst, you know, uh, 72 hours in which you have nothing to do between challenges, right. between tribal councils, and weaves from fronds. Actually, half the number that was originally requested. Phenomenal negotiation. And what does she get for it? She almost goes home with the first tribal council. Right. Because how dare you fraternize with the enemy? Yeah. You know, it's, oh, it, it, yeah. It's so you know. To me, it's ridiculous. But again, I'm looking at it from that male perspective. So maybe I just don't get women. But what was ridiculous about it was not so much that the deal was bad, which Alicia claimed. It was almost that Alicia wanted to be the person who was the negotiator. So yeah, it was well, like she was jealous that she wasn't the one making the deal. It wasn't like she was looking at it that uh, Christina, you know, had negotiated in poor faith. It was that she was she wanted to be in that spot of the one negotiating and flirting with the men. Maybe, but you know what? I think we saw this past episode that if she was the negotiator, there may have actually been physical violence on the island in the first day. <laughs> you know, like there might have been a face punch at some point by somebody towards somebody else. Yeah. Because her idea of negotiating was take and then hem and haw and continue to take while hemming and hawing right. and only alienate the people you're trying to negotiate with. Yeah. Like the men made, a, you know, a mistake on the first day when Michael stole the stuff from the women that, that really set things off on the wrong tone. But then since then, I'm at sure every was a mistake, I think it certainly set things off in the wrong tone, but I'm not sure it was a mistake. It gave them a serious advantage. Yeah. Um, well, you know, but I don't really know what they have that's like, I don't really know how that has uh, played out. Like, I know yeah, he did it's it. Tough, it's tough to say because they haven't shown us. But, like, you know, we saw with with uh, with um, uh, with Cook Islands, with uh, with Rupert and stealing the other team's stuff that, you know, just everything is a resource. And the, the more resources you have, the more advantage you have at your disposal. And I think that what Mike did gave them that advantage. Now. Unfortunately for everybody involved, these are two very childish tribes, and they decide to play this game of one-upsmanship where they, you know, said, "Well, you know, you screwed us, so now we're going to screw you." And then Party B says, "Well, you just screwed us back, so now we're going to screw you back." You know, like to my vision, to my vantage point, if Chelsea did agree uh, to split the chickens, and she never actually said it on screen, but if she did agree to it when Matt proposed it, which we saw, then. 
she was absolutely wrong to not share the chickens. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible political move. Yeah. Um, but it, it, obviously it was fueled by, well, you stole our stuff. But there's a moment that you, you – know, there's a line that you come to. And you can choose to cross it and say, you know what? Uh, yes, the past has been brutal, but let's start a new beginning. Or you can choose to stay at the line and just be angry forever. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, this goes back to the Marty versus Sandra, you know, thing. You got to be flexible and survivor. Um, and, and I think that everybody would be far better off right now if they had all just said, you know, what, screw it. Let's just let's just live with one another <laughs> and, and not not, you know, plot, you know, ways to slit one another's throats before the game forces us to do so. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it's like a real prisoner's dilemma going on that both of these teams saying like, well, you know, I'm going to screw you before you screw me. But they really both would be better off if they were working together because, um, you, you know, these tribal lines are going to be gone at some point. Yeah, well, it's probably going to be next episode that the swap happens, right? You would think so. Well, it's always happened in the fourth episode of the men versus women seasons. Is that is that the case? I, I, uh, I believe it's the fifth episode. I Maybe I, I'm just ahead of myself because yeah. I really want to see it happen. Yeah. I was. I may I, defer to you, Gary. That you you might no, know I'm better. One, you might be right because it's usually even numbers. So <laughs> that actually makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, I I know you're inexperienced with Survivor, Rob, but trust yeah. me. Yeah. I I don't know I don't know anything about uh, men versus women seasons of Survivor. Well, yeah. You were you were you were depleted when you're out there. Your memory may not be that sharp. <laughs> That's true. Uh, um, let me let me ask you something else. I want to know, uh, do you feel like the men versus women season and the Survivor One World twist, have they been successes in your opinion? I really like the idea of the the, the One World twist. Um, I'm not a huge fan of men versus women seasons, although your season was one of the best seasons ever on the show. Um, I just, because I like a more natural dynamic, and I, I, I think the original concept was you're a small society and you have to vote off one of your members – while splitting up as men and women, it's not really societal. You know, it's it's something else at that point. Um, I think One World, though, was really necessary. I actually did not, you know, relative to, to other seasons, I did not like the Redemption Island seasons. I thought Redemption Island uh, took enough, enough TV time that they had to get rid of reward challenges. And reward challenges, a lot of the times, were the catalyst for uh, renewed social interaction. You know, we've seen in the past, you know, there are people who are nice and comfy in their alliances and then the reward challenge comes and they are shown that they are actually not in the nice spot that they thought they were and they were forced to make moves. Mm-hmm. And instead of that, the last two seasons, because there were no reward challenges, what we saw instead was, hey, let's form an alliance. Okay, we'll see you in the final five. <laughs> right. And, and we got like six boring straight weeks. Yeah. Um. So I think One World kind of... You know, it forces people to mix it up socially. You know, we're not really seeing a lot of relationships being formed across tribes, except for with Colton right now. But you know that they're happening. You know the conversations are happening. That people are are warming to one another. People just finding common ground. People are attracted to one another. Um, and, and so, like, I I think it's a really good thing they did. Like, it might be an overreaction, but so far I'm enjoying the dynamic. It, it it's something different that doesn't sort doesn't hurt the game at its core like i think redemption island did yeah i agree i like the one world twist but i'm wondering if doing men versus women at the same time as one world sort of lessens the effect that one world could have had because you really could have had all these groups intermingling but when you made it men versus women you really not it's not just like okay this person's wearing a blue buff and i'm wearing a red buff it's like okay where are the men these are the women, and now it's, you know, it's us against them. You, you know, I feel like it's sort of, you know, because there, there's really, it's like total eighth grade dance right now with the exception of Colton. And even yeah. he is like firmly like entrenched himself with the men at this point. I, I you know, I agree with you. I, I hope they'll do a, a one world someday that has intermingled tribes. Um, you know, uh, as you know, with the Mars Venus thing, you know, part of being a strong tribe is having members make up for one another's shortcomings and women are going to lean heavily one way and men are going to lean heavily another way and not necessarily have the components to make up for those shortcomings. Um, if, if we had intermingled tribes, you'd see more complete tribes and therefore 
it wouldn't be quite so focused on, you know, haggling over fire, you know, it would be more social. I think the more social the game is, generally speaking, the better the show is, you know, like, you know, for me, the best moments ever have been like, you know, the, you know, the Russell idol moments and stuff like that. And in, in that's in part because of the fact that, you know, these are personal relationships and these are, you know, these are events that have played out over many chapters that, you know, only heighten the context of those moments. Um, and, you know, I think that while everybody's squabbling over fire, you're not really seeing a lot of development of that kind of thing. Yeah. So who, in your opinion, is looking like they are in the best position to really make a run here on Survivor One World? Now, before I answer, let me ask you this. Do I take editing into context? Um. <laughs> Well, well, how about you give us your answer and then tell us your editing uh, pick? Well, see, because of editing, I have a favor right now. Okay. And that's Jonas. Jonas? Yes. Uh, and- Jonas did absolutely nothing noteworthy in the first episode, and he's not that much of an out-there character, especially on a season with guys like Tarzan and, and Leaf. And yet he got as much or more camera time than anybody else in the entire first episode. And I think we've seen a pattern in the past where the eventual winner or at least the eventual like, you know, uh, protagonist in the finals gets a lot of airtime in the first episode. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, for example, coming into the season, I actually thought Bill had a a reasonable shot to win. You know, probe say good things about him. He seemed to be a, a guy. And then Bill did not have a single line in the entire first episode. Right. And I, I have now dismissed Bill as an, even a, a possibility of winning the show. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I think, it, I think you know, if, if you look at the airtime people got in, in episode one, Jonas got a lot of time. Kim got a lot of time. Uh, and, and, you know, Kim Kim's kind of driving me nuts a little bit right now. Like her whole, you know, what kind of, you know, where's the chivalry? Where are the gentlemen? you know, stance, it, it just drives me bonkers. Cause I, I, I can't believe these people obviously haven't watched the show, uh, you know, as, as preparation, but, um, but yeah, like those, those are the, the, the folks who have gone a lot of airtime, you know, the, the, the purple Kellys and the Ricks of the world who just don't show up on screen, you know, they're not going to the end because, you know, if the producers didn't think that their story arcs were important enough to bother to comment on them, then they're not going to, they're not going to play into the bigger picture. So like, so Bill was, was pulled the total disappearing act. Monica was someone who I thought had a really good shot going in, but again, she just was kind of invisible the first episode. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would say Kim and Jonas are probably the favorites right now. But somebody like Monica, who's invisible in the first episode, but then has like a really good arc in the second episode, but then is isn't around in, in the third episode. I mean, how? Like, I get what you're saying with like Purple Kelly or Rick, where they're just not on the show. But if they disappear for an episode or two, is that you know the you know it's just uh, close the book on them? I mean, what about Natalie White? No, I, I don't think it closes the book, and, and Natalie's kind of this glaring exception to the rule. Um, so you can't completely discount anybody. But I think the first episode is usually really telling. Like, there's usually a winner's quote in there somewhere. If you think back the last couple of seasons, like Fabio had this great, oh, you know, everyone's going to think I'm dumb, but I'm just going to try to win. I, I think I can do it. Um, that was the worst Fabio impersonation of all time, but I wasn't really preparing myself Not for stellar. it. Not stellar. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, Boston Rob certainly, you know, got about 45 minutes of the 60. Yeah. Uh, on his season, you know, only Russell, uh, ate into that. Um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, and, and if you think about Sophie, you know, Sophie was doing all this confessional work in the first few episodes, uh, last season, despite the fact that she wasn't doing all that much on the actual beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like that kind of clued me into the fact that Sophie's someone to definitely watch. And only my ridiculous belief that Cochran was eventually going to blossom into, you know, the ultimate player to end all players <laughs> stopped me from putting Sophie number one on my personal power ranking. I hear so, that. I hear that. But what did Jonas do that you're so impressed with Jonas? Well, like not only did like the thing well, he did a couple things. First of all, if, you, if you've watched Jonas, he's friendly with everyone, and he's been amicable towards the women where some of the guys have been antagonistic. Fair enough. Uh, you know, and he, he was the one who negotiated with Christina. And, um, you know, I, I hope that, that you know, obviously, Jonas and Christina come from a similar ethnic background, and so that might have 
traded, you know, common ground that they can negotiate on. But ultimately, he was really reasonable in that negotiation. He obviously kept an eye on the bigger picture with regards to, you know, a social game and, and keeping things amicable with everyone. And at the same time, he's shown himself to be a hard worker and all that good stuff. But really, it just comes down to the fact that he got so much airtime for doing relatively little. You know, because mm-hmm. uh, Jonas seems like a good guy, but he's not charismatic, you know, in, in, the, in a broader sense. Um, you know, he's not a character the way, you know, the aforementioned Tarzan or Tarzan or Tarzan or Tarzan or Leaf is. Um, you know, he's just a guy. And the fact that just a guy got so much time on the television just struck me as really blatant and, and really pointed effort by the producers to to make him to make us aware of him. Okay, I don't see it, but I'll I'll take your word for it. Well, I'll tell you what, Rob. I'll offer you a last longer bet. Who do you want? <laughs> Give me. How about uh, Troyzan? You'll take Troyzan against Jonas. Yes. All right. What's the stakes? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm putting on the spot here. Uh, and you're not one of these guys who look at the spoilers or anything like that. No, I, I I do not spoil because I, there are some people I, out there that they look at the spoilers. And then and the, they go around, they call themselves the experts. Well, of predicting... I'm going to offer a financial bet, Rob. I okay. want to do something more fun than that. What would you like to do? Um, you know what? The thing is, I'm between my own podcast right now. I'll tell you what. I've got, I've got, uh, there are a couple of guys who I talk Survivor with a lot who have a relatively small podcast. Yes. Um, but they talk seriously about the game and, and are obviously passionate fans. I will, on their behalf, bet you that Jonas lasts longer than Troy Zan. If, uh, if, if I win the bet, you have to go on their show for like two hours. Two hours. Yeah, oh they do a two-hour podcast. Like they're they're hardcore, dude. Um, <laughs> I, I threw okay. the dude for Bill's sake. Okay. Uh, can I be like? Can I be doing other things though at the same time? Sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, uh, no, I, I, you want to you want to pay attention to keep up with the conversation. Like these guys, they don't they don't just talk about well, food's important. You know, like it's <laughs> all right. It's it's now, deeper strategy. All right, fine. Um, fine. And then if you can name a similar task for me to do if if uh, if you win the bet. Right, then if I win the bet, uh, I'm going to put you on the uh, the task of uh, tracking down Boston Rob and uh, and and telling oh, him and... that uh, this is a very this is a World Poker Tour endorsed podcast. Okay, I'll tell you what. All I can do is ask. If <laughs> I lose, I will. I will. So, hey, will you say, hey, Boston Rob. Ask your behalf. <laughs> I, I don't feel that I have a lot of sway. <laughs> say, hey, Boston Rob. I hear that there's you know a lot of World Poker Tour experts. They listen to you know Rob has a podcast, and it's going to be a real. <laughs> I think that I just think it would be a real good move for you, uh, go to go on uh, Rob as a podcast. <laughs> I will, I will happily go to Rob and say, you may not remember me, but would you like to go on this podcast with this guy you actually know? And if he says yes, then I'll definitely put you guys in touch. You tell him that to go on, Rob has a podcast, and uh, he might he might say, hey, since when did the general get a podcast? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that, not that Rob. The Rob Sesternino has a podcast. And if I say Rob Sesternino, will he still insist on making Tootsie Roll references? Tootsie Rolls? You don't remember his Tootsie Roll comment about Rob the General? Oh no! Oh yeah, yeah. It yeah, was yeah. not complimentary. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, I the gen the general. Yes, right. Uh, that was a less politically correct Boston Rob. Yeah, he you know he hadn't quite figured out the whole world of television you know social acceptability <laughs> kind of deal. Yeah, but like we said, you know he's he's a he's a kinder, gentler, more thinking Boston Rob. <laughs> okay, all right, go Troyzan. <laughs> I don't think Troyzan has much of a shot. You Why know, not? Uh, Why your well, team Tarzan? He did, he did. He did get some time on the screen in, in that first episode, and so that does matter. But I think that ultimately his behavior has just kind of been alienating towards the women. And eventually, any guy who's going to win has to work with the women. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, it, it, unless they do a tribal sweep, and even then he'll have a target on his back because he's kind of the leader of the misfit gang. Yeah. Um, you know, like Colton's obviously the real leader, but Troyzan thinks he's the leader, and everyone else thinks he's the leader. Well, uh, Troyzan, for in his professional life, he works with these uh, swimsuit models, and he tells he tells them what to do. And sure. I think he has he has experience, you know, working working with uh, some of these women. Yeah, and he insists on calling himself Troyzan, and it's uh, <laughs> completely alienated all of them. So you know, it is what it is. And he has monkeys. I have to tell you, by the way, I am very disappointed. We haven't seen more conflict between Troyzan and Tarzan over naming rights. I think it's coming. 
I, I, I thought it was going to come right away, like because they alluded to it in the first episode. You know, there was that that Troyzan shot, you know, where he said, "Tarzan, I'm Troyzan. This is my island." <laughs> so, um, I but, think it's uh, happening. I think it's it's on the way. I don't you know because I really thought Tarzan was going to be this riveting coach like character, and so far he's kind of fallen flat on his, on his face in that regard. So, you know, he, he you know, just from his interviews, he seems like a, a very interesting Renaissance man kind of guy who I'm sure would have many. You know, kidnapped on the Amazon stories. <laughs> so you uh, sound like you're Team Tarzan. No, I'm not really Team either one. I think I, I, I oh god, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I think I'm Team Colton. <laughs> what? I really, you know what? I, I'm the one person in the world who is starting to warm to Colton. Yeah. You know, uh, now Rob, I have to, I have to make an embarrassing confession here. Uh oh. Um, is it about me uh, or about you? It was. It's about me. Okay. But it also involves you. Okay. Uh oh. Uh, Recently made a comment uh, online in, in an online forum uh, where I said that I think Colton has the best shot of Sesternino Nino-ing this game. <laughs> uh, and, and by that, what I meant was um, he's the guy who, if he gets to the merge, he can start flip flopping between the tribes and sort of dictating, you know, and, and sort of right. going with the wind, you know, because he's in with the girls and at the same time he's in with the Misfit Alliance. So. Um, I don't know if people are actually calling it the Misfit Alliance. I'm just, it, it seems like a suitable name. I believe the average Joes will also suffice. There's nothing average about any of them. <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> the average Joe isn't uh, a little person? If one more of them starts calling themselves some variant of Tarzan, the Tarzans are in the majority. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> So I don't know how many Tarzans you've met in your life. Like maybe this is a normal thing in in L.A. or New York, but yeah, uh, I haven't met a whole bunch of them. It's a fair point. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I hear what you're saying about Colton that he very easily could wreak havoc uh, once we get to the merge. Especially, yeah, like, uh, it looks like we're on a path to a season with a swap. The swap is one of the key uh, ingredients for having a season like that because then everybody knows each other. They're already familiar with the, each other from the one world. Um, and I think that, yeah, we right. definitely could have a season where Colton is uh, flip-flopping back and forth after the merge. Like the thing about Colton is he's obviously obnoxious, but he's good for a soundbite and he's one of the people who's really playing the game. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason that, that hardcore fans love Russell Hans. Is because he plays the game. You know, he you know he is very in tune with the game. He's not there for a life adventure. He's not there to spend some time on a beach or to get away from the rigors of work. He is there to play Survivor. You know, in, in, with every fiber of his being. And I think Colton is the same kind of guy. Now he's the same kind of guy while being all debutantish. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 it certainly seems obvious that he's never done a day's work in his life, and and he's been pampered and, and spoiled and catered to. Uh, and so obviously we're going to kind of hate him for that, but at the same time, he's, you know, to use a Reggie Jackson terminology, he's the straw that's stirring the drink. That's right. You know? Oh, wow. I got a ding. Well, because that has come up quite a bit on this podcast where I referred to Cochran as the straw that stirs the drink, uh, quite a bit. And also, um, somebody else, uh, Philip, maybe the season before, as a straw that serves as a drink. And Cochran had asked me if I had, uh, we had a podcast with him a couple of weeks ago. And he asked me, did I, did I make up that uh, expression? Because him and Stephen Fishback were talking about it and they never heard that before. And I said, I was surprised such big sports fans as Stephen and Cochran had not heard of that. And, you know, I must be getting old because I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where I, where I, I grunch about, you know, like, Oh, these kids today—they they don't respect their history, you know. Blah blah blah. You know, like how can you not know that that's Reggie Jackson? Come on, come. <laughs> yeah, killing me. <laughs> so let me ask you about something that uh, I feel like is sort of an interesting thing, and I know that game game theory is one of your uh, specialties, and uh, you know, as a as a member of uh, the Magic the Gathering Hall of Fame, uh, yeah. that I I know that you you know quite a bit about game theory. You had to do that, huh? <laughs> well, I, I waited. I waited quite a bit. Yeah, well, uh, they would have found the Wikipedia page eventually. So, <laughs> yeah. Now, how did you get into the Magic? How many people are in the Magic: The Gathering Hall of Fame? I, you know, what, to be honest, I, I, I'm distanced enough from the game now that I actually don't know the numbers. I would guess it's about thirty or twenty-five. 
Um, I got in about five years ago. Oh, well, congratulations. You spend entirely too much of your time playing the game. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, they have professional tournaments that you go to. And I made my living for like seven years playing the game and writing about it. Wow. Uh, and that writing actually sort of set me up to write about poker and and uh, move into other ventures that that uh, that will be rearing their head in the next few months. Okay. Um, Ooh, very cryptic. But, uh, but yeah, sorry. Very cryptic. Oh, yeah. Well, I have to be. It's, you know, it's top secret stuff. You know, I tell you, <laughs> I'd have to kill you. Um, but yeah, no, it actually set me up really nicely, you know, because suddenly poker had this explosion and there was. There were very few people writing about the game regularly and, and not with the kind of storytelling that's required to build build a, a community and a culture. And and so, uh, you know, the magic thing actually sort of set me up for, for Boca really well. Okay. So I want to ask you about as far as the recipe or the the makeup of the people on a season and how that goes into predicting the actual winner of the season. Like back around the time of survivor thailand jeff propes came out and he was the first finale that he hosted it was right before the amazon came on and he held he held up a book of john nash and he was like john nash the secret to survivor it's all in here and so a lot of people started writing about john nash and his is his game theories and uh how that correlated to survivor and um i feel like one of the more interesting things was to come out of that was sort of this conversation about how, um, and this was, you know, early on. So this was the, an, an analogy that I had, uh, read that in a season with, uh, 15 Lexes and one Ethan, Ethan will win. And in the season with 15 Ethans and one Lex, uh, Lex will win that game, but sort of like just using the broad strokes of saying that the more, uh, you know, a, a follower and, and a leader, and I know I'm, it's an oversimplification, but uh, in a season where there's more followers, maybe something like a Redemption Island, the lead, the one leader will win, but in a season where there's more leaders, uh, a follower will win. You know, I think that's a little too specific, but I think the, the message there, which is true, is be what people need you to be. You know, if no one is providing the food, you learn how to fish. If no one's providing the fire, you learn how to make one. Mm-hmm. You know, you be what you need, what you need to be, or what other people need you to be. You make yourself invaluable. You make yourself indispensable, and that's going to keep you around, and that's going to endear you to other people. Now, eventually, you know, you're going to get to a point where if you're too helpful and too useful, then people are going to be like, "Oh, well, we can't let you win." They're going to rupert you out. You know, like they're going to say, "Well, if this guy gets to the end, he's going to win, so we can't let that happen." Um, so, you know, you don't want like, and that's why, you know, I, I brought up Sandra's name a couple of times and that's why, because I think Sandra is a person who's, who, uh, you know, fits in very well, but doesn't shine too brightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that keep, you know, I, I think that to win, generally speaking, you have to make at least one big move, but I think you want it to be really late. I think the longer you can hold off on that big move, the better. Um, but yeah, really it just comes down to, you know, be, you know, like, Okay, so we'll go back to a poker analogy. When you sit down at the poker table, there are two ways you can sit down. You can sit down with a particular game plan and stick to that game plan, or you can sit down and say, I'm going to watch the table, see what the table provides, and I'm going to adapt to that table. And the latter is going to be the more successful plan. Because ultimately, if you sit down thinking, I'm going to be really aggressive you know, throughout this session of poker, I'm going to do a lot of raising. Well, if you sit down with four other guys who are thinking the same way, you get all in every pot, and you're eventually going to lose one and have no chips left. Mm-hmm. And the same thing holds for Survivor. You know, if you go, if you go and say, "I'm going to be the alpha male, Matt," and then you find yourself with a, with a few other alpha males who don't aren't who aren't the kind of people who are going to be willing to be pushed around, you're eventually going to butt heads with them, and you're only going to have a fifty fifty shot of surviving. If you see that there are a bunch of of alpha males. You know, don't try to lead them. Just let them fight. Mm-hmm. As as long as they're fighting, you're not in the line of fire. You know, and and yeah. So really, I think it's just about adapting to the game and being what others aren't. I subscribe to that uh, wholeheartedly. I think that the th- part that's hard about that and playing the game that way, and I think that was uh, part of my own. Uh, downfall on the all-stars is i think it's hard to have a 
uh, you know, if you talk about Survivor like as a chess game, I think it's hard. It's easy to play that way after the merge. It's harder to play that game before the merge because uh, if you're just sort of sitting back early on, you could get picked off. Oh, I'm not saying sit back completely, though. You, you want to be at the campfire. You want to be sleeping with the other contestants. Yeah. You know, you, you, are, you are definitely part of the social circle. Um, but I don't think you necessarily want to be uber aggressive about it. I, I think that given a choice of who do you want to vote out or tell me about your kids, you probably want to ask the latter question. <laughs> right, right. You know, because, because if you show the person that you are actually interested in the person instead of being interested in the game piece, then a bond is formed and then trust is formed. And that's how you get your numbers. Yeah. I mean, I think what I'm saying more is that the person who comes into the game and says, hey, I'm going to play the I'm playing the game this way on day one. They do have a chance to control the game earlier, whereas sitting sitting back and playing the game as it comes to you, not uh, not saying anything about uh, the social dynamics, but more sitting back as far as uh, as from a. You know, not trying to control the group, you are a little bit more at the mercy of a stronger personality early on in the game. All right, let me give you a baseball analogy. Though. Okay, okay. Florida Marlins came into this offseason saying we are going to sign our first baseman, we are going to sign all these other free agents, and that is it. And they went out and they signed some of the lesser free agents, and then when it came time to sign a first baseman, they didn't get them, and they're left with a mediocre team that just spent millions and millions of dollars to still be mediocre. You can have a game plan going in, but you want to leave yourself enough space that you can adapt and adjust if the opportunity arises or the need arises. Mm-hmm. You know, you went in, you were the night, like Rob, you're a perfect example. Okay. You were nice and cozy in your alliance. And then Alex made one of the dumber moves in the history of the show and just told you, Hey, congratulations on fourth place. Right. And you had a game plan at that moment before he said that to you. And that mm-hmm. game plan was to go to the final. And it was a good game plan. But the moment it made itself obvious that it, that it wasn't a game plan that was going to win you the game, you showed the adaptability necessary to, ch- to change streams. Yeah. And you have to have that flexibility. It, it, you know, without that flexibility, you have nothing. Uh, I agree 100%. I, I think all I'm saying is I think that that part of the game is definitely – much more of a factor after the merge and uh, pre-merge sure. uh, might be a little bit more, you know, it, it's harder to, I, yeah, I think an aggressive personality can control the game uh, before the merge a, a lot greater. And then the people who can be flexible can control the game after the merge much more. Okay. But accepting Boston Rob, who was obviously, you know, kind of an exception to the rule in that he had been on the show. What was it? 14 times. <laughs> Are we talking about in Redemption Island or or at the time of the All-Stars? Redemption Island. Who yeah. was the last alpha male to win? Before Boston, Rob? Yeah. Um, they, like, like, JT was kind of an alpha male, but he was a laid-back alpha male, and the game kind of came to him. Yeah, they were, I like, mean, J- JT like, and Steven both were, you know, very flexible after the merge. Right, you know, and, but the thing is, no one really, like, JT didn't wrestle the game to the ground before the merge, you know? No one has wrestled the game to the ground before the merge except for Rob. Mm-hmm. And Rob did it by being, you know, the benevolent hero instead of, instead of you know, the, the fearsome ruler. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, but no one has wrestled the game and then survived afterwards. Because as much as I understand what you're saying for surviving in the short term and taking control, you ultimately put a target on your back. You know, it's, this is, okay, we're going to coin another phrase. This is called Aussie syndrome, Okay. You can be Aussie and get your team through the early rounds and destroy and dominate and build the fires and do the hunting and your word is 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 like the hand of God. But ultimately, you're putting too much of a target on your back when you do that. Mm-hmm. What, what, the one good thing we saw from Cochran, and I'm sorry, Cochran, but there was one good thing, was a conversation from, with Dawn in which he essentially made it her idea to vote out the person who he wanted her to vote out. And controlling the game that way is why I, I, I kind of clung to the idea of Cochrane as a genius at, at, at Survivor. Yeah. Um, if you can lead that way, you know, keep others involved in the decisions instead of pointedly making the decisions for them and expecting them to follow you, then yes, I agree with you. Having that early strategy and, and surging forward with it is is phenomenal. I just don't think that there are a lot of people who are able to pull that off. Yeah. I, I guess, uh, I don't know if we're... Uh... 
help helping to further this argument or if we're just uh saying the same things over and over again uh, well it's the beautiful thing about survivor you know <laughs> you can talk in circles and you never get anywhere but that's what makes it fun you just keep get to keep on talking about it what i'm trying to say is so let's just put a, this hypothetical season where uh ozzy is on a tribe and sandra is on the tribe okay and they have you know all the you know sandra has all the flexibility in the world but you know they lose that first challenge, and Ozzy says, "I got to get. Ri- we're getting rid of Sandra. She's she's a liability in the in the challenges." And Sandra was just as social as she's always been. And, you know, I just think that you can be at the mercy of someone before the merge, whereas mm-hmm. after the merge, Sandra can you know go say, "Hey, I'll vote with you. I'll vote with you. Whatever." There, you know, there's no perfect strategy in Survivor, though. All right. I can do is is. is manage your expected returns you know it's similar to poker you know you can get all in with aces i, I and by the way i hate poker analogies so much <laughs> like i remember watching china and just cringing every time that john Robert referred to himself as a seven deuce offsuit i'm so sorry to have done this again <laughs> get in with pocket aces you know before the flop and you're an 81 percent favorite against any hand you know or minimum 81 percent and yet you can still lose. Mm-hmm. You know, so yes, Sandra can lose given the right or, or the wrong set of personalities and, uh, you know, just the wrong set of circumstances. But I think ultimately playing the percentages, she has better chance to win in the long run than an Aussie does because an Aussie is going to offend the Cochrans. He's going to affect, offend the Dons. He's going to put that target on his back. And more often than not, people are going to have the survival instinct needed to vote out that guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can invent a computer that can simulate Survivor seasons hundreds of times, and then we can finally get the answers that we need. Who is better than who? What is the best move to do? I mean, is IBM working on something like this? You know, IBM is not, but I bet you the University of Alberta would kind of kind of find the uh, that problem an interesting one. They've been working on artificial intelligence for poker for a long time. You know, uh, there, there's been artificial intelligence for, for chess, but chess has a finite number of moves. And a finite number of scenarios, and poker is obviously a far more complex game uh, in terms of that. Um, U of A has been working on it. They they've worked with poker pros, having them play against their artificial intelligence. And hey, you know, if you have a few million dollars to invest in research, because hey, who doesn't? <laughs> right. Then uh, it, it might be worth approaching them and asking them to to figure it out just as the show's run is ending. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like so a plan I, I, it's not it's not tomorrow but you know it's sad to say survivor can't go on forever you know no no tv show does so but you know hopefully that's not for a while all right we'll keep our fingers crossed gary thank you so much this was one this was one of the uh nerdiest conversations i've ever had about survivor <laughs> but also uh a, a very interesting one this was a very fast moving hour well, you know what? You talk. You're the one who kept on bringing up the, the, the bringing it back to the odds and so on. I'm very happy to talk about the social game. I love Survivor, man. It's just, you know, uh, I, I I showed you. I I have a now defunct blog where you know during Rob's season, which was the least active season of all time, I still managed like twenty five hundred to three thousand words in an episode just because I wanted to purge all my just thoughts. Just for clarification, your Boston Rob season. Yes. Yes. Sorry. The the um, other Rob. The shall we say the lesser podcasting role? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like I just you know I just love the game, and it doesn't have to be on that game theory level. It just uh, I just think it's one of the best games ever created, and I'm, I'm always really happy to talk about it. So thank you for having me. Oh well, thank you, Gary, and uh, we will be back with you guys with some more uh, podcasts uh, next week. Celebrity Apprentice on Monday, and uh, lots more fun to come. So until then, everybody, uh, take care. 